Welcome back again to Permaculture Tonight. We're talking today with a bee whisperer. We're talking today with Michael Jordan. He's an incredible man. He's doing incredible things for kids and families everywhere. And he's also showing how anyone can do this. So let's dive in and tune in check out what Michael has to say. Michael? Yes. Hey, there you are. How's it going today? Good, good, man. I'm, I was just getting done uh, packaging some powdered honey and doing laundry. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. It's Monday, right? I'm sure everyone else is doing, you know, those things that need to get done. Well, that's awesome. So can you hear me? I hope so. Hope oh, yeah, I can hear you very well. Oh, good. All right, sweet. I've got like a double mic set up. I've decided um, that I am sick of, of 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 quality issues with sound, and so you you have a a, a gold plated condenser microphone on you, <laughs> and I've got the uh, Sure fifty fifty. No, no, I, I'm I'm just using a phone. Well, that's okay. Uh, you know, as long as I receive it with a golden glove here. <laughs> <laughs> well it's awesome good, to good. hear you and i'm so excited that we worked this out um because i am about to switch sites and i'm about to start using those bees uh, uh using those beehives and start working with bees again i tend to work out of the box with bees because i tried bees and they came to me with a mite strip in the box and i had like talked to the guy it was he seemed like a a trustworthy young lad. I was wrong. <laughs> and he was like, oh, these bees have never been sick. You know, they're perfectly fine. I opened it up and there's a mite strip. And so I'm like, oh, well, clearly something was wrong. Uh, and the bees like uh, swarmed and left. And I wasn't prepared for that uh, pretty quickly after they arrived on our site. And they they found a really nice place, though, because they're all, I mean, we have, we're outside Yosemite. So they found a place for themselves to live and there's plenty of you know rotting trees and wood uh in our area so they stick around i i, I can tell the difference um once i started getting acquainted with bees uh, and they're, they're always in my garden and it was like i had to hand pollinate until i got these bees and then after that it was like either you guys are like proliferating or you told all the other bees in the neighborhood that work awesome because it's like I'm, everything's covered, just covered with bees now. <laughs> so I'm kind of an out-of-the-box well, guy. That's good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but now I kind of want to turn up the, the skills and dive in. And I'm sure a lot of people have had this experience as well. Uh, the, 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 you get the bees, it doesn't go so well. You're like, well, I don't really understand it well enough to know what went wrong. And so I'm excited that Justin Bithel... And you have really kind of pulled me along here and said, yeah, no, you're going to do a top bar hive and it's going to be awesome. And you and, and I'm, I'm really excited and I, I know my audience is really excited too. So let's just start at the beginning. Um, let's talk about these uh, top bar hives from Justin. Well, um, out on the market, CNC's fairly cheap now and people are getting into cnc equipment and the more advanced the equipment and the more you can do 
And one of the big things out on the market is a CNC top bar high. It takes a very big machine to do it, so it takes a quite a good investment. And so he's been doing these CNC top bar highs from a pattern from CNC Workshop. And he's taken and he's found like some of the most premium wood that I've seen. Uh, he's using a plywood that he's gotten from Russia that has uh, some sort of uh, velocity glue that is not destructive to the nature, does not hurt the bees. And it's, man, it's heavy duty. I mean, if you picked up your little hive, it's, it's heavy. So it's a very heavy little unit. It's constructed very well. Uh, his machine seems to be cutting everything extremely precise. And he's built the top bar beekeeping system from his CNC machine where he's able to print them out at a very good price, very high quality. And for people that are more into um, natural comb building and into, I guess, uh, more communication with the bees amongst each other that are doing top bar beekeeping, this is a, a great way to start. He's got three different styles that he's got. He's got like a smaller nook box that uh, you can place and work the bees with on a smaller scale. He's got a average top bar. And then he has a very super long one for people that have a warmer climates looking for more growth in uh, comb production. So he's even taken the design and programmed it. So he's got three different levels. And the one thing that I really liked about it, he does have a nook box for top bar as well as the top bar hive. And that's part of the system of beekeeping is uh, population control. And you need those uh, nook boxes for population control, apiary growth, um, sales and inspection and those capabilities of uh, marriage for the end of the year for more population for warmth and he, man, he's already got that all worked out by a smaller system so I was I was very happy to see it that is awesome yeah maybe we could talk a little bit more about that too um, but but we should probably start at the beginning of, of beekeeping and how to uh, welcome the bees into your home and catching a hive uh, catching a swarm and all that well, there's uh, three ways of getting bees. One is uh, finding a beekeeper and helping them do their uh, apiary management, where they're um, controlling the population in their hive by pulling out queens that will be uh, making swarms, pulling out uh, overpopulation of brood so the hive doesn't want to swarm, and helping kind of doing that management. Um, then there's the package B, which is uh, taking that system on a larger scale where actually commercial beekeepers are dumping the nurse bees into boxes and, and, and doing queen production. Most uh, commercial beekeepers requeen their bees no more than two years, three years maximum. So they're pulling out uh, sections of bees and then they dump them into a box adding either the old queen that was laying for only a year or two into the box, which would almost be if the bee was swarming, or adding a whole bunch of new bees that they've just bred from queen castling measures, and then put them in the box for package sell. And then the last one is the swarm catching. And the swarm catching has two parts. One is from feral bees that are overpopulating out of nature. And one is what we call progressive non- habitat uh, 
conforming that just like your bees that they didn't like the hive so they moved on and then maybe someone got them or someone poorly manages their hive not doing crowd control or population growth and the bees swarm and they move and those people are catching those bees as well and that's basically the three systems of how people get bees that once you get your bees um, package cell um, splits or for population growth or either from swarming measures you have to find out what kind of hive that you want and I keep uh, I'm a little bit of a, a hoarder yeah. I get to what we, we call it uh, like a bee a bee virus and uh, I have I, I instead of going with the system I traveled around the world to find out where beekeeping actually came from and worked my way all the way back to how they got to the United States from where they came back in from Virginia to how they got to where I'm at in Wyoming to the first beekeepers here. So I, I got into a uh, like wonder lust when it came to beekeeping and I keep war a hives, top bar hives, Langstroth hives, uh, eco hives. Um, wow. I'm looking a couple different barrel hives. I, I like to really look at the different aspects of the scientific measure and how the bees uh, mitigate in the type of homes that are built from sun hives, prone hives, Slovak hives. I mean, there's so many different kinds and more and more being invented all the time that I, I, I collect them and that way I can educate myself on them and that way I can teach them on a level. So when it comes to getting your beehive of what you want, Sometimes you have to sit down and not only find out financially what you're looking for, but the type of beehive also um, demeans what kind of style of beekeeping you're going to do. If you get rosewood hives, you're going to use the rosewood method. If you get mm -hmm. Langstroth hives, you're going to use uh, Pastor Langstroth's method. If you get top bar of the Kenya hive, you're going to go back to what they call Egyptian keeping. If you get barrel hives or the log hives, you're gonna go more into a Turkish beekeeping. I mean, so even your hive dedicates the type of style that you're gonna do. And some of those styles are dedicated on your time as well as money investment. So you get your bees, you get the type of system of beekeeping that you're going to do. And then you're going to basically find out your apiary management and then set up. And with setup that goes with the laws, um, even even if you can keep bees, can you keep them? Uh, do you have a anaphylactic reaction? Um, how are your kids' reaction? How are your neighbors' reaction? Um, location of where you're going to set them up for, uh, I guess, uh, flight control for people that are walking through and barrier controls, so that way you can control them to keep out of pathways and flight patterns. Either way, from humans to the bees or bees to the humans. So, I mean, there's there's a lot just to getting involved when it, when it gets started in beekeeping, other than I would like to have bees for either to pollinate my plants or um, I would like to try to get into a little honey production and wax production for home measures and needs. So there's, that's I mean, that's just- That's definitely where I'm at. That's where you're at? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, I've gotten to the point where I know uh, how to get pollinators here and I know how to keep them happy so I'm not you know I'm not worried about the new site that we're setting up I'm not worried about that um, but the idea of honey and wax and 
understanding where I can jump in and, and not take from them and just get their abundance. You know what I mean? Um, because the, the, I mean that's a serious issue and, and you know it's funny you, you say on Facebook you're gonna get some honey from a bee and suddenly you have people like attacking you be like you can't take that bee's honey and you're like but, but at a certain point there is a, like, like they don't need all that honey if they have a good year you know to get them through winter it's all about understanding that point you know what I mean understanding your bees and you know and, right well, it's, it's the biodynamic of, um, I guess, the biodynamic of how Earth and planetary work. If, if you didn't want the bees and you didn't want them to do everything that they do, you should leave them in the trees. A lot of people say, well, I could provide them with a home. If you provide them with a home, you have to manage them. Oh, yeah. Because it's not a tree. If you get a kitty cat and you put a kitty cat in the box because you want one or you put the kitty cat in your house, well, kitty cats can fend for themselves. They can catch mice and they can drink water and they'll eat bugs. And of course they will. But if you're housing a cat in your house, now you have to provide it with a litter box or it's going to crap in your house. And if you don't let it out on a regular basis to hunt and scavenge, you're going to have to feed that cat. And if you don't do those things, that cat will die or move on. And then you're losing your rodent control and bug control. And I mean, there's there's certain things that if you're going to say, well, you can't take their honey, you know, if you put them in a box and the bees get what they call honey lock, which is the process of where the bees have filled everything with honey and the queen can no, lay, can no longer lay any brood, a bee only lives for 36 days. So if they're not repopulating because they've made too much honey that you're not removing, the bees will die. And that has to do with the management skills that if you're going to have those things, I don't care if you're putting them in, I just want to put them in a Langstroth box. I just want them outside. I'm hoping for some pollination. You know, I know beehives that haven't been checked in over 20 years, but the people are still going out. They're still making sure that the hive isn't tipped over. They're still making sure to see the activity of the bees how the house is looking according to aesthetics that it's not cracked up the side, that it's it's not falling apart. They're doing adjustments because they're, they put these bees in a box. So when it comes to taking honey, right, you don't want the beehive to get honey lock. Um, you're only taking them out a certain amount, so at least they have 30 pounds of honey storage in their hive. And that has to go with weighing the beehive if you're going to take surplus. If, if you have a cow that you don't milk, they get engorged, right? And then you're causing more of a problem than helping. So sometimes the management skill and stuff comes on more of a basis that you've taken on a aspect that you're helping because you're asking for help. But if you're looking for pollination and you're bringing bees into your area, the management skill comes because you want mm -hmm. to make more food supply and food source by pollination. And on the intern, you have to provide a housing and a regulatory management skill to help out what you bring in. If you bring in a woofer into your area and you're not feeding them properly <laughs> and you're not teaching them skills, they're going to die. <laughs> oh, those poor 20-somethings woofing their way across the world. <laughs> so, yeah, that's awesome and very enlightening. 
So I really, I saw this video and I'm sure several, several people who are going to listen to this saw the same video because it was shared and it was amazing. But let's talk a little bit about catching a swarm with uh, two buckets, some cement and a pipe. <laughs> um, I've been working with management skills for beekeeping now for more than 15 years and I have seen many types of people lose their bees or finding swarms of bees. And I have developed a pattern of tracking that when people call for swarms, they're looking in certain areas where they found them that in this area, you find more and more swarms that either somebody has poor management skills, there's a bee tree there that the bees are overpopulating and making the aspect of uh, that the bees are just hugely populating and that uh, and that they feel that, man, that this, this tree is really good home. We won't leave it, but we have overpopulated and leave. And when it comes to catching swarms, you kind of find out where the best points are to put up swarm traps. Now with swarm trapping, there's two different things that people don't really get is that you have to check those swarm traps every three days because the bees will come in, they either build massive comb and then the trap becomes too heavy and they've already populated it to where it's going to be hard to remove comb out, brood out, the queen out and the social structure that they've built. And the second thing is that if you build the swarm trap and you're not checking it and they make it home on hot days without sun or expo with lots of exposure, you'll cook the bees inside the box. And there's many types of swarm traps. Many companies sell them. Some people are just taking honey boxes putting some frames in them with some wax and then they populate the the hive by natural swarming methods but what i found out is that you should be doing some more control methods on your own and you should be building a swarm trap that is conventional to use not only your apiary but is mobile so you can take it out of aspects when swarming season is done and that it's easy to clean maintain without uh, degrading or exposure of what's going on and what i found out is that I've, I've i've looked at so many swarm traps i see how people are catching them out of trees with buckets how people are setting up swarm traps in the trees alongside buildings alleyways out in their fields and then what do you do with them and maintain them so over the last three years I, i've been testing and it seems to be working extremely well for me I have a couple other people, not only in the United States, but in Turkey and in India. I'm trying to get a friend uh, in Australia to try it. And what we found is that you can make these uh, telescoping bee traps at home by using a five gallon bucket with cement in it and then cementing a three inch piece of PVC pipe in it, putting a two inch PVC pipe in it and then putting an inch and a half PVC pipe in it. And then extend a, a, a swarm trap by telescoping measures, you know, anywhere from 10 to 15 feet in the air, where then you can put a five gallon bucket on top of it with wax lines in it and lemongrass oil for trapping. And that way the ability that the bees will go up in, in the trap, you're able to low it down by telescoping methods, remove the bucket off, replace it with a new bucket and stick it back in the air. And this helps control your population in your beehives. It helps you also catch swarms that are from feral trees. If you find that bee tree, you can put 
two of these just by that bee tree and catch prominent swarms that come out from feral bees. Wow. If you're getting swarm calls, like every year this lady calls and she says, I swarm in my tree. I found one on the side of my house. And you start pinpointing those things. Even if you're not catching the swarms and you're building a geographical map of this is a hot area where I get lots of swarm calls, even though I'm not picking them up and somebody else is, this is a hot area, either poor management beehives or there's a bee tree there. And I can kind of isolate where this would be a good place to put a swarm trap. Then you're catching the swarms before they become a nuisance to the, the neighborhood, society, or people that are not necessarily beekeepers. So with this type of device, I'm able to put them out in certain areas of parks, alleyways of neighborhoods, uh, close to bee fields of people that are like, man, I just don't really care about managing my beehives. They, they do just fine. And where I found some feral bee trees. And that way the bees are able to be collected. We're able to move up and down the telescoping swarm buckets and uh, catch these bees and manage them on a more frequent skill. Because as an apiary management, if you're not doing your splits, uh, queening rearing, brood uh, removal and stuff like that, your bees will swarm. And then you will lose 50% of your bees, if not more, because they're gonna leave with the queen while they produce a new one. You're gonna also lose 50% of your honey because those bees are gonna take it so they don't have to forage for the next three days while they're looking for a home. So you're gonna lose half, if not more, of your production from a swarm. So putting up these traps, you're able to trap those bees place them in a new hive for an expansion or put them in a hive for growth where then you'll kill the queen, marry those bees back into a beehive, causing massive colony. And uh, that way towards the end of the year, if you're building your beehives, if you don't have stronger beehives, you can marry those down into your weaker beehives or the weaker ones to the stronger ones, going from 20 beehives during the year down to seven of well-populated thick warm beehives over the winter and then when your spring comes if you're managing them good you split those off going back to your 20 to 30 beehives by doing good splits or you're catching them from swarms getting them back to a management skill and the swarm trapping is very important that it's a, a form of natural uh, selection of good breeding from a beehive that is exploding with either feral bees or a hive that's doing well that if you take that colony of bees that is leaving, you were probably able to introduce them into a hive and have them prosper because they came from good breeding regimens. So swarming is a form of natural breeding selection that's very good and very important. So that's why we, we kind of went with building a mobile swarm trap that mm -hmm. is made out of plastic, that it's so it doesn't weather hard. It's made to be tethered to the ground, easy to remove. I mean, I'm a I'm a big guy, I'm 5'9", I'm and I weigh 275 pounds. So I'm a big guy climbing on anything over two foot, if I fall, that's devastating to a fat man. So getting up in the air and using stuff like that and then being able to telescope it down to removal, I think is a great source of bee management. It, it, I mean, it's genius. Uh, we always hear about, oh, we want our hives to be as high as possible our swarm traps to be as high as possible and you effortlessly captured that with your design and it's readily recognizable you're like oh yeah 
oh that that's so easy i've got i've got the buckets right here you know what i mean um so i i want to ask you if, if you have an online course yet because you're a natural teacher uh and your explanations are holistic um and so i mean i know that my listeners are now primed for that before we get into the top bar hive management uh do, do you have an online course yet no uh i i started one out with a perma ethos out of west virginia and we're working on on one through basic programs of development but man i am so busy that it's hard to sit down with a film crew and to film all that stuff for an online course and i have written I think it's 37 manuals on beekeeping that uh, that we pull information from and and used for beekeeping. But most of my beekeeping comes from two things is that I either have people call and they say, man, we're from Ohio. We've seen some of your stuff. What does it was it take for you to come out and to to do a beekeeping course that we would like you here for the next week. Will you set up our apiary? Will you teach us what we need to do to get started? And then maybe in a n next year you can come out. So I have, I've just finished up with a, a full course with a gentleman in Florida that I've spent the last three years. Uh, I, I was out there and it's usually one week a year. And I did that for three years and I've got him on a, on a program now of apiary, manage, uh, apiary management. I go, uh, one of my bigger courses that I do is for the University of Wyoming's Bee College. And I teach everything from, uh, my topic this next year is actually swarm trapping and how to make powdered honey. Uh, there's usually about 47 classes that they offer that you hunt and pick of what you want to take at the time to enhance your skills. And they bring people in from, uh, I usually bring in a couple people from out of the country that I recommend people either from Turkey or China that that do different different beekeeping so people can see the diversity of the world. How does and then that work with the answer university? a lot of questions online for people. I spend a lot of time online. And if you're in the Rocky Mountain region to where it's something I can do on a weekend, we work out a schedule where I get you in and out of my mentoring programs and stuff to do that. But on an online course, there's so much with beekeeping, so many different styles. It's hard to develop a whole schooling course without help or anything with with just what I do because like we just talked about there's Langstroth beekeeping there's top bar beekeeping and if you're doing top bar beekeeping are you going to do war a style are you going to do Kenya style are you going to do top bar in general that's from like Justin Bethel's CNC you know it's it's something that we're working out that we're hoping to bring in um uh, we're, we're, I, I'm big on youth education, so I'm, I'm working with some high school students that will come in through their broadcasting and communication, that they'll film all those sessions, and then that you would be able to purchase those sessions at home if you didn't get to go to the college. So to use awesome. them, probably, I don't think it'd be a bad thing, but there's so much diversity that goes on, and each year we specialize on certain things like Last year was on natural measures of beekeeping. Instead of using, like you said, you, you got a thing that had a, a mite strip in it when it came. Yeah. In your beehive. 
it might not necessarily be that your bees had mites, but they were doing preventative preventative measures so you wouldn't have mites. Ah. So that's, I mean, so those are, but we, we teach like more natural methods to do it, such as using a vaporization of oleic acid. And if you don't want to use a chemical then, then you can take rhubarb leaves and I got those. grind them up and rhubarb leaves makes oleic acid. So you can make the pulpus, putting a pulpus where the bees have to climb over it to get into the beehive, and it, it, it's a natural measure. Or you can use That's stinging cool. nettle, which Got is folic too. acid. Or you can use, uh, uh, what's what's the, the other one that people are using right now that's, that's pretty good? Um, oh, eucalyptus oil and mentholatum, right, making it based or a lard base with uh, a grease, making it so it's greasy with menthol that the bees slip or the mites slip off because the bees have mites on them and the menthol uh, pushes the bees out because of the eucalyptus oil. So, I mean, we last year at the Bee College was a, you know, was more natural methods of not only of controlling the bees for predators such as wax moth, hive beetle, mites, bears, uh, skunks, mice, snakes, ants. I mean, they did a whole thing on just predator control and natural methods. And the year before that was product usage, like how to make powdered honey, how to package your honey for sales for not only farmer's market, but for retail sales, how to make combed honey, how to change combed honey into a starter batch so you can make creamed honeys with flavorings Whoa. so every year has a certain topic and then they bring in different aspects for everybody to come in and to learn different things everything from the beginner beekeeper all the way to more advanced to doing what i do in, in a major cause is making need wow so it seems like you just you're going to have a new course every year that's that's even better yeah the the courses <laughs> the general i think there's uh this year's topic will be, I think it's uh, different modules of beekeeping and product reduction and control. So basically they're gonna be teaching, there'll be a mead making class, there'll be a honey packaging course, there'll be a basic beginner beekeeping course, there'll be some pest management control courses. But then you're gonna have some people that are coming in and they're gonna teach you about how to weigh your beehives yeah so you can see if population growth or, or weakness is going on they're going to bring in somebody that's going to talk about how to build quilting boxes and feeder tubes for more hive management skills so they bring in i think there's like 47 classes and i think there's also going to be 13 hands-on where you'll actually build your own beehive and it's over a three it's over a two-day or three-day time period so some, some people don't get to see some things because I, I'd rather go watch the gentleman build swarm traps and this, uh, watch the guy make mead while the mite control is going on. So there's, there's many different styles and systems that go on. That's amazing. So it almost sounds like, wow, it just seems like you're going to be college or something all at once. Yeah, it's a, well. That's why we call it B College. Is that uh, <laughs> every every year it's the University of Wyoming's extension, and it's called the Wyoming B College. 
and it's done here to at, they they take the whole uh it's a uh community college here in cheyenne we only have one university here in wyoming so it's an extension and we have a community college here and the uh, the university's extension for b college takes the whole community college up for three days it basically the classrooms are all used the auditorium the cafeterias everything you know we bring i think last year we brought in almost 300 people from all over i mean they come from all over the world learning different topics because we even bring in speakers from all over the world that's to incredible. try to teach different beekeeping skills and management that's absolutely incredible <laughs> wow so your company is a, a bee friendly company and what's your website where we can uh, stay we can sign up for the newsletter so we can stay um in touch so we can make sure we we have access to that when it comes up the best way to get on me i have a website it's a b e e friendly company.com a b friendly company and it's all one word a b e e friendly and companies all one word so it's a b friendly company.com you can always email me at a b friendly company at gmail.com but i have found it doesn't matter what kind of website or whatever you do facebook and the social media connection from twitter and instagram and stuff like that there's way more so if you would find a b friendly company on facebook or myself michael jordan uh, for beekeeping in Wyoming. Uh, social media helps out a lot more and you get more information, not only the classes we're doing, uh, the video of the swarm trap and the buckets on there, uh, the video on a homemade beehive to uh, get your weights and measures so you can measure the the weight of the beehive. The There's videos on anything from eco beekeeping from the gentleman out of Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, to Perone building from a gentleman from Spain. So on Facebook, on the multimedia, there's not only will you get information, there's some stuff out there, even on some of my mead making courses from YouTube that there's listed on there that you can get on and see how to make peanut butter and honey meads and fruit meads and stuff like that to use out of your garden. So the social media is a lot bigger. Yeah, I've experienced the same exact thing. So we'll circle back again and remind listeners about that site after we talk about the top bar, but that was perfect. Sure. So this top bar hive is unbelievable. I love how tight the uh, plywood is. I've never seen plywood like that. And my son, there's a video circulating of my uh, five-year-old son who put it together uh, with, with no directions. Uh, and I, I had to help him like, I think once and he was directing me. So it wasn't quite, you know, it wasn't quite uh, like I was was completely helping him, you know, direction wise. So it's an amazing thing. Everyone could set these up in their backyards. Everyone could be doing this if they have the right conditions and the, and the time to manage them properly. So uh, let's talk about this, uh, this, this top bar hive because I had the Langstrup hive and I was observing them and waiting for them to reach um, a certain level of occupation of the box. And then I was going to put my super on. I had the wax already melted. My super was built. So I was like, I was like ready to roll. But um, then they left. Uh, so, so I thought I was, I was doing the management properly. But clearly, 
there was an X factor that I didn't understand. Um, and the top bar hives, uh, there's been a lot of buzz about them, <laughs> no pun intended, for, uh, for several years now. And I know that management's different, um, and I, I'm excited for you to uh, give us an insight into that. Uh, top bar beekeeping will be the hardest beekeeping you'll ever do when it comes to keeping bees. Uh, the, the, the comb, of uh, uh, the structure that everybody reads in the book is that you should be managing your beehives during the, the daytime, which are the hour, you know, bees are union workers and very cheeky girls. Hmm. And that's, that's why they leave, they leave beehives. That's why if they don't like what's going on, like, so they're very cheeky girls. And when you work beehives, most of the books tell you you should work them between the hours of like nine to, to four, right? You should work in daylight hours because bees are union workers. They're out when the sun's up and they're home when the sun's down every day. So if, you're, if uh, the bees are out of the beehive working, that's less for you to mess with. That means there's only usually guard bees and nurse bees in there. And nurse bees aren't a tend to be aggressive. And guard bees, if you're smoking or using incense or if you're using oil or if you're spraying sugar water, depending on the hive management skill that you're using, you can uh, dissipate or basically put the illusion before they put out their pheromones and stuff of, of we have a problem by using those types of systems. So if, if the bees are out working in the field and there's minimal in the hive, that's when you work them because they're less aggressive. And top bar beekeeping, you're going to work them either extremely early in the morning, which is the, the most productive way, or you're going to wait more towards almost even after dark. And people don't understand why I say that. The heat in that beehive makes the comb very loose and malleable. And if you have any weight and you lift those top bars up, they pull apart because of the weight hanging from them when you mess with them. So when you're pulling stuff apart and they're stuck to a wall, they're stuck to the bottom of the, the top bar. If they're stuck to comb to comb without cutting them, because sometimes the, they build comb and they make connectivity for communication. So the bees can walk across stuff without jumping and hopping. Uh, if you're not cutting that stuff and you pull, you'll pull the bottom, you'll pull almost those top bars in half because heavier is way heavier than brood. And when the honey pulls, it pulls it completely off the top bar. So you have to move extremely slow. You have to be dedicated to really look at what you're looking for. It's almost like playing Tetris or playing Jenga. That when you're sliding stuff back and forth, you're moving slow. You need to feel the communication between frame to frame as you work the top bar. You have to work the, you know, when you're working them in the colder parts of the morning, where the combs kind of hardened up overnight, the beehive's going to be full of bees. <clears throat> so it's going to take more time to be non-aggressive to work through those bees. So top bar is very, very, it's going to be harder. It's, it's not made for the keeper. It's made for the bees. Langstroth was made for the keeper. It's more manageable for the keeper. It pulls out frames. Uh, you're working them during when the bees aren't there. You're giving them more room because bees naturally want to move up and not across. So there are some different aspects on that. And with, with the uh, top bar hive that Justin's got, you know, the, the lid lifts open in a direction so it props up for you. 
So that way you're not having to pull it up and try to recenter it every time. It sits right down on top of the frames. So, you know, centering all those frames to make sure that they're not um, like a crooked train track. You know, you have to make sure all those frames are straight so that way you can put your lids on it. So top bar beekeeping is very hard, very rewarding, but very hard. I think there are people that like top bar beekeeping more than they like uh, the frames. They like watching how that the bees build all the stuff and, and, and build it all, all by themselves. You know, they hook their legs together and they swing back and forth like a pendulum giving them a bearing of how uh, centered the hive is when it comes to being level to the ground. It also gives them the distance of how long and round the comb should start off as they build down before they make connectivity to the walls and other comb. So watching that and how they all structurally do that and swing and stuff is, is phenomenal. So it gives you more of a basic of bee engineering. Uh, the one bad part about all that is that you have to feed those bees constantly because they don't have anything to build off of. When they have something to build off of, they only have to produce wax. And <laughs> wax, we all know, comes from them eating. So if, if, if there's lots of nectar and floral going on in the springtime, or if you live on the Mediterranean belt, Southern California, Mexico, Argentina, south end of Texas, bottom part of Florida. I mean, if you're moving more towards that, that Mediterranean belt of the equator, you get more floral and more flowers and more vegetation. If you're in North Dakota and South Dakota, which is the largest producer of honey in the United States, they don't get floral and stuff until you're looking towards mid-June. And that's because they're starting out with other things until the sunflowers come out and do the fact they're the largest producer of sunflower seeds. The bees are brought there to make honey and to pollinate for sunflower seeds. So they get more honey there because of the type of flower it is. Wow. And that's, I mean, that's all part of that beekeeping management skill. That if you're using top bar, you, your first year, you're feeding your bees. If you're feeding them a nectar flow of natural measure, measures of biodynamic uh, fluids, such as you're going to add honey with water, you're going to make a tea using some apple juice, some stinging nettle, some uh, turmeric. I mean, there's you have to add a whole bunch of stuff to make a good beef beet. Don't get me wrong. You can just add sugar and water and make a 50-50 solution by volume and feed those bees. But, you know, I'm sure I could eat at McDonald's and eat a Whopper every day, too. I might make it, but I'm not going to be as healthy as I should be. My cognitive memory is going to fail. I'm going to be slower. I'm going to be more uh, non-conclusive of what's going on in nature. And, and that's, those are some things with feeding aspects. But you have to feed those bees with top bar so they can produce wax from their wax glands to build comb because they're going to do it all naturally. So, you know, top bar doesn't work out. You know, you're not going to use a lot of top bar, you know, in Canada, in Alaska. I'm sure there are some people that do, but you got to remember nectar flows there are much smaller. Uh, you're going to have to feed those bees so they can make that type of comb. And then that goes to the second part of top bar beekeeping is when it comes to harvest, you're stealing the comb that took them so much to make. Wow. So then you have to replace that comb during harvesting. So, I mean, 
It does bring up more value and stuff for what you're getting. You're going to get more protein from the wax. You're going to get pollen because of the harvesting. You're going to get better functionality with the type of honey that you get. But you've just stole all that the wax communication that they've done because you're going to cut it. You're not centrifugally spinning it out for them to reuse it. So that has to go back that your management of the top bar has to be with replacing frames, leaving frames for feed, circulating the frames through, harvesting only in the springtime of honey that's probably already crystallized, unless your beehive's over-flourishing, which is mostly in the southern states, not anywhere, you know, if you're getting to Oregon and Washington, maybe, but, you know, you're in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming, Nebraska, what all the way over to Wisconsin and stuff, you're not going to get that type of harvest because you're not going to be able to harvest. They have to use most of that food to make it over the winter, and then you're only stealing in springtime, hopefully that they can rebuild that comb the year so they can have it towards the end of the year. So, I mean, there's there's always pluses and minuses with it goes, but top bar, I feel, it comes with a higher management skill. It comes with somebody that is very dedicated to check that beehive every seven, nine days to make sure that the comb hasn't fallen inside the hive and killed your queens, that they're building not cross-combing and they're building straight down. So, I mean, there's, there's more dedication, more time, but you'll get more experience in beekeeping. You'll be a better beekeeper. You'll learn to work the bees in a more harmonic manner. So, I mean, there are pluses and minuses with it. So what about Missouri? Is that kind of the, is that, is that the line? That's about the line. Correct. That, you know, when you get, you know, you're going to jump over what we call the Rocky mountain belt, right? Where we have higher climate and altitude. Yeah. Right. So less season, more wind, more rain or what we call moisture. It's not always rain. We get tons of snow, but when you drop down towards when you get to the Missouri area and you're moving back towards, uh, Oklahoma across from Kansas belt back over to Virginia, then you're going to hit the Appalachians where it's going to drop back up, get the higher altitude climate, uh, less sun, more cold. And then you're going to drift across to where you get towards the East coast. Right. And then you're going to have anything from when you drop back down towards where the water and the, the airway drops back up, the airflow on the, Atlantic coast comes up from Mexico not giving more warmer water and more warmer airflow. And when you're on California, it comes from Alaska down from the Pacific, giving you guys colder water and colder airflow. So it has to do with altitude, climate, location, sun variable. I mean, there's, there's, there's a lot to, to doing that uh, on, a, on a thing for an insect. Yeah, but you know, I feel like that is a. And so, uh, do you know that I'm helping out with the Heirloom Expo this year, Santa Rosa? No, I did not. All right, so they're having me handle the kids section, because I, because I, I, you know, I, I create all this curriculum for kids, and I'm I'm a school teacher, and I used to bring crowds of kids to this thing, and so, like one of the major things this year that I've been focusing on is making sure we include bees all pollinators, <laughs> invertebrates, composting, food soil web, you know, so that when the kids come, they, they see a holistic point of view of, for gardening. So it's not just like, oh, we're going to add seeds into the gardening equation this year. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. That's one part of a huge, huge, like, team of cycles, you know. And so it's really exciting to 
get that information out there and especially the way you're doing it. I mean, you're as, I mean, the way you're talking about it is as permaculture and scientific, you know, as possible. You're measuring all these things. You're testing all these things out. And I think that, that that's what, that's the kind of perspective that we all need to uh, adopt. And, and I'm really excited about this, this course that you have uh, that you're going to be filming. Uh, I had no idea that you were uh, a, like teaching at colleges. That's amazing. That's huge. <laughs> it's it's yeah, so exciting. I, I went from I went from being a horrible person to having a tragic car accident to see what life was really about to dedicating and giving everything away. If your kids are under sixteen and they're in the area, they're free no matter what. No matter what we do, the kids are free. Um, yeah, I, I went from a whole different aspect to being that if you're not really observing your surroundings and helping out, it, it, you know, it takes nothing to pick up the trash around your block. And my house, like I said, is a hoarder's because I don't throw nothing away because, man, you can reuse that stuff somewhere. Mm -hmm. Somebody needs that. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, it's a whole different thing when, you, when, you, when you're talking about permaculture and scientific. I, I think I'm probably not as a great person when it comes to plant propagation. We do, you know, we make a garden. We grow almost 25% of our own food. But I live... 12 blocks from the state capitol on less than a third acre of land where I'm keeping chickens in the inner city, quail in the inner city. We just got done doing rabbits. We moved turkeys around. Uh, I, I have 50 beehives that I manage on this, on this plot. Now uh, we try to do rainwater. Could I, I, I'm sure there's a whole thing on water. Uh, Nick Ferguson came to my house and talked about water and how to move it with windmills, how to collect it off the roofs, how to do testing, how to differentiate what you're going to use for washing compared to what you're going to use for drinking, compared to what you're going to use for animal husbandry and watering them, as well as plants. I mean, just even water manipulation takes a whole nother a course oh, yeah. to, to kind of learn, right? When you said, you know, you throw seeds in the ground, it's not throwing seeds in the ground, it's even, you know, I, I learned from when I was in West Virginia at Permethos that seeds are even placed in the ground at surf, certain angles because they open up. If you have them upside down, the plant has to turn all the way around and then push its whole self back up if you're not putting even the seeds in the right measure if you're doing ground installation. Or are you doing paper towel and newspaper sprouting to the when you're moving them then? And, I mean, there was so much just on seeds. That yeah, I, I don't fun. think... I don't think anybody masters everything, but there are some people that get specific skill traits that when you're building a community of people that are extremely necessary, everything from sanitation to the person that that's, you know, walking the kids to the school bus, picking up the school bus. There's always, man, the community has to be built on a more strategic basis. Oh, yeah. And I think that that, that is finally kind of arriving. Um, I think what happened was which is, you know, typical uh, with almost every movement. It moves just like the way we, as humans, develop. Countries do the same thing. Societies do the same thing. It went through that selfish, like, teenage period where it's like, well, I'm going to have my site, and I'm going to do it all myself, and I don't care about the county laws. And so it's just like, it went through this developmental period of, like, it's teen angst, permaculture right now. We're the 90s. And then, like, the aughts. And then it started straightening out. And I think... 
now people recognize is that it's when we say self-reliance it's really a community of interdependent individuals that are doing their best for what wow you just gave me you gave me just a huge chill how you described that that it you know we are going back to clanning and we are going back to uh, community support and it takes a community you know a whole town raises a child oh yeah right you have the butcher the baker the candlestick maker and every everybody finds and you you see all of it you learn all of it but my niche was butcher or I am more of the steel and iron worker guy. Uh, it takes that whole community to see the labor of an institution being built. And I, I was just that guy that you said, I'm gonna do it all myself. And that's that's why I spent this whole last year was me tearing down almost 80% of everything I did because I jumped in with both feet. I tried to use all the accumulators that I had. And when it was all said and done, my foundation and infrastructure was poor my development for social uh, capability of expansion was poor. My production was high, but how long was the production going to be with no infrastructure or the ability to refurbish and reuse? And it was, I had to re redo all kinds of stuff because I jumped in, was plant. Oh, I'm going to plant kiwi, 400 of them on this little lot. Watch. Well, man, now what am I going to do about water management, pruning? Because now I still have to work a job. My kids are too little to participate other than what, what we're teaching them. So, yeah, it takes a huge community development, huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you, you're right on this. I mean, you're thinking generationally when you talk with such passion about kids. Uh, and that is really the next level. And I feel like that's where permaculture is now, um, or at least it is from my perspective in the books that I'm writing and the courses I'm teaching. It's we need to think generationally. We need to be including everyone, the the elderly, the, the kids, the families, because if it's not a way of living, it's uh, that that includes everyone like that. It's really not um, sustainable <laughs> because otherwise it's like you just go off and do your thing. And then maybe we read about it in a newspaper later when they find your decomposed remains. And it's like, yeah, wow. It's not like that. Yeah. We're not Logan's run. <laughs> yeah, totally. Absolutely. Um, and what's really exciting is we're seeing all these things. And I mean, we're seeing it like at the UN New Paris climate talks, like Mark Shepard talking there about his farm. We're seeing all these different like carbon farming with Eric Tonesmeyer. We're seeing all these edges that are connecting now. And like the 3D farming, did you see a Permaculture Magazine's article on 3D farming? Uh, yes. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, I have that in my book, you know, and, and I was like, yes, I found, found you know, a, a solution. And, and they're already propagating it and the word's getting out. And it, I, I mean, it's one part of, of a whole series of things that I have to, for, the, for large ocean restoration. Um, Actually, I'll, I'll, you you understand. Basically, we we have to recreate the artificial reefs so that we raise like in permaculture where we use windbreaks to push the air up. We do that with water with our with reefs, and then it creates this still period afterwards where you can have those um, like kelp forests, and then you can do three D ocean farming. But we really need to just let it go for a while and just grow up the population and grow up the sediment the bottom layer like our soil i mean we actually don't even have a proper word for what the ocean sediment sludge is it's the soil of the ocean but we don't talk about it 
Um, and then we need to do that Vedalapama thing where we card into the land and then let the water in and have those algae flushes that cause birds and fish and amphibians to go nuts. Um, and then those will be the uh, filtration, um, the filters for, uh, the proper filters for the ocean. So yeah, so it's like we have these things that are exploding in all these different regions, but it's only until now, it's only at this moment. And it's, 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 and like you said, oh, I was doing this. I mean, until I found permaculture three years ago, um, my paths, and I'm in a dry region, my paths pointed downhill. So when I, when I watered, my water would flow downhill. <laughs> And when I learned about swales, I was so embarrassed, so mortified. So, you know, I mean, that's what it is. We're on this like developmental path, all of us right now. And I feel like, you know, 10 years ago, I was a selfish person and I couldn't even like really grasp what, if I had said that to myself, what I meant, because I, I was a good, good person, but nonetheless, I couldn't think about other people like the way I do now. Totally. It's and it's and you have to have that that uh, in the back of your head all the time. And I don't think people realize that as much as they should. Is that people do not learn from the works that you do. People learn from the outcomes that you produce. So, man, you can do you can you know build skyscrapers and you can pave roads and you can build food forests and stuff. But if it's not having a final result of completion, people say, well, he can do it, but does it work? And what I've learned is that I developed my beekeeping and I spend, man, so much time. My wife hates it that I, I, I'm running a translator program over the, uh, over the last three days that I was talking to a gentleman in Turkey about new development for a tubular hive that we've been working on together and using natural chrome structure the y theory from germany uh have you the seen flipping of periodic uh frames and stuff and you spend all i spent all my time doing that to get the information so when it's done it's a final product and just not a concept but the concepts are cool but it's like you said, when you saw swells and how they worked and it's not water runoff anymore, it's the water crawl and how you're going to divert it to certain areas without any mechanical capability of pumps. And yeah, that blew my mind away. <laughs> yeah. And that's even a generalist concept. You know, you add in key line, you add in terracing, you know, all those different things too. And suddenly it becomes a vocabulary of uh, catchment and diversion and so I, I just, I'm so excited about this. I'm ready to dive in. I'm glad that moving to Missouri, uh, cause that's where we're looking at moving. Um, I'm glad that will be compatible because if it's a, if it's an intensive, uh, management, uh, system, I'm not going to be able to leave it here for, um, my, uh, my in-laws to manage. So, but the bees are here already. They're in one of these trees. It's funny though. It's like those bees came to me and they're, where they're from, there's really no stands of trees. I mean, they have orchards, but there's no stands like wilderness. 
And where I am at, this is where all those trees are dying. So there's dead trees and fungal activity everywhere. So I'm sure those bees were like, guys, I've got a whole tree full of medicine. Let's go, you know, and they just left. And so it was like a healing event, I think, um, for them. So I'm super excited about this. And your, your website, again, is uh, BeeFriendlyCompany.com. It's all one word, and it's B-E-E. -E. And we're, I'm so excited about this course because it's really clear to me that um, just like with Elaine Ingham's uh, soil course and soil science, it's like its own rabbit hole of wonder and excitement. Uh, beekeeping is the same exact way. And I think that it's one of those edges that in permaculture you don't have very many books where it's talking about beneficial like bugs, talking about pollination, talking about, you know, bees in depth. Instead we, we have cursory stuff. And so this is so exciting that you're putting this work in. And I looked on Amazon and I didn't see any of those manuals. So when you when are when are those gonna be available? <laughs> That's one of those things that uh, I can help. Uh, and I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to find out and convince my wife to quit my job working for the school district. Well, just like did. I have to make that choice to either sit down and sit down. I, I suffered a car crash in uh, 1999, and I was clinically dead. They were gonna harvest my heart to give to a woman in New Jersey, and just by miraculability, my mom showed up at the hospital and said, "Mom's here." we're getting ready to go home so get better and I kicked into a coma got off a ventilating system and within a year uh, it was 2000 I was starting to learn to walk talk read write and do all stuff again but I have a traumatic uh, brain injury from a, and the cerebral hematoma and in the back medulla of my head where my brain got rocked back and forth so I have severe dyslexia <laughs> so when it comes to writing stuff down and stuff i i might be able to say it correctly and i might write it down but if i'm writing down a pair of jeans and i spell it like a pair that you eat it takes a long time for people to kind of differentiate what's going on Sounds so like the, the manuals and stuff teacher. i'm working out will probably be given also out as i take time to make these courses more available for online that people should be able to look at it with measure Wow, so it sounds like you need an English teacher to just go through it and just add those corrections for you. Um, because you know, that's what we deal with. Together. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of stuff in there that that has diagrams and stuff in it. So, cause for me to explain it, it's easier for me to kind of show, I'm a hands-on guy. If we want to sit down and we're going to go through a beehive and I'm going to show you uh, how to make the queens, emplacement of the queens and stuff, it's much more easier for me to, to I almost need a ghostwriter is what I'd probably need to take those manuals and make them better information for people than me sitting down. Cause I, I take out a manual, I print out so many copies for a course. People come to the course, I hand out the manuals. And I say, all right, let's go to page four. This is the diagram you're looking at. This is how we're going to go through this. We're going to dip the rods in the wax. We're going to make our own queen cups naturally from all our own wax. So that way we're doing queen cupping measures that are this way. It's easy to read, but if you if you would sit down and work with somebody and do it, I think the 
the production and the quality of what you get out of it's huge. Absolutely. Wow. Well, there was a lot. You know, when you said that about the car accident, it gave me chills. Um, one of my closest friends in high school, um, he was in a coma for three months because he was in a car accident and he wasn't wearing his seatbelt and he got thrown from the window. And um, they were convinced he was brain dead and all this stuff. And the doctor said, no, there's no hope. And his mom and his friends visited him and his mom read letters. Um, and I didn't really get along with him um, before. It was boarding school and um, I didn't get along with him really, um, but he was friends with my friends. And I just felt for him and I wrote a, um, a letter and he re was read the letter by his mom. And when he came out of that coma, he knew I was his friend. And um, he still writes me constantly. And he's like one of those people that you know, I uh, I can always trust, and I will never lose contact. Um, and that that's seriously powerful. Seriously powerful. I believe that people that go through those kind of situations are brought back and kept here for a reason. And um, it's clear that you're helping a lot of people. And well, I my my accident was the awakening that I needed to be a different person. I I was never. I, I wasn't a bad person until society made me a bad person. And when society, I just, when people tell you you're bad or you're doing wrong, you automatically think that you're bad and you're wrong and you just do those things yep. then because if people think you're that way, that's how you are. And, you know, I, 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 I got out of college uh, from an incident and I went to California to find fame and fortune as, as somebody that they told me that I was. And I was a, I did stand-up comedy. I bounced at bars. I collected money for people out of Tahoe. I wasn't a good guy. And uh, it took me one trip. I ended up getting really lucky. And I got to get a fuel master's degree from the Army Corps of Engineers. And I'm a fuel specialist. And that's how, that's how I got all my money to start beekeeping was I traveled around the world and I built fuel management uh, facilities for the military mm -hmm. and for private industry. I built almost 70% of all the Costco gas stations in the United States. Huh. So I, wow. I did, I did really good as fuel management. And when I was over in the Philippines, one time we were building a generator facility, the thing that changed my life from being who I was, and it was just before the car accident is we were in the Philippines building a generator facility for the global, I think it's a, a wax air wax facility for the, the big planes that have the dishes on the top for global positioning. And I was watching kids chase down newspaper, dipping it into mud puddles so it would soften enough so they could eat it, so they'd have something in their stomachs. Oh. And that changed everything in my life to when I came back to the United States. I uh, was getting ready to do all kinds of stuff, and I got in this car accident. And that was like hitting the whole reset button for me. That I was able to reset. I was able to leave everything behind that I did because I was starting all over again. And when I started all over again, I started out at a whole different measure. Uh, I learned about beekeeping from a four, you know, we had a uh, 400 and some year old recipe to make mead from my family from Ireland. 
It was something that I read when I was rebuilding my mind. Uh, I needed to get bees to make it. And I had to start off. And when I did it this time, I did it to where um, I wasn't going to use any type of medication in the bees. I was going to build a stronger line of bees for my area. I was going to develop it so that kids could learn from the aspect. I was going to share everything that I had with every kid I could find. If people wanted me to come, I was not going to teach them my philosophy. I was going to teach mm -hmm. them to be the manager that they needed to be and not incorporate how I wanted them to manage it, but what was going to make them want to go out and do it. It changed my whole philosophy on the human aspect that not one kid has ever asked to be born. They never said, my name's going to be Toby. This is going to be my mom, Vanessa. This is going to be my dad, Paul. We're going to have a white picket fence. We're going to live in Canada. No kid has ever gotten that choice. And when I saw those kids that had no choice, didn't even ask to be here, eating newspaper out of mud puddles, man, it changed my whole aspect of how terrible we are of human beings that we, we in, in school districts and in America, we exploit these kids either for toys or for grants to fund different projects. And how they grow up and they don't learn trades or technical skills and we put them out there making them either find their way or find a way to develop but social skills so they can make it and some of those social skills make them either work on a system or they harm and hurt other people without development uh, it was man it changed my whole aspect of how we need to raise our children and i actually i'm married to a woman that had two kids from two different men uh, in ethnicity and everything and they're my kids they need a father figure they need a mother figure the mother and father both need to be working to show that there is no such thing as gratuitous that it's all self-earned and everything that you get that is more than you have you have to give it away because the more you give, it makes more people want to give. And if everybody's giving everything away, you seem to not ever lose anything. You keep growing because people keep giving you stuff. Um, man, it has changed everything that I've done. I have a eight-year-old son. I have a daughter that's, uh, she's gonna be turning 12. And I have a 17-year-old daughter. And we are the most diverse family that you've ever seen. My oldest daughter for my first marriage is half Filipino. My middle daughter's half Hispanic and the little boy is the white on rice, man. And we all and all different families, all different forms of that's aspects. Beautiful. But we all work together for one common goal and that's to make it as a clan. No matter what it is, we will fight for each other no matter what our diversity is, what our downfalls are, someone picks up behind them. And we try to make things happen. And this is also based from my thinking of how I've watched bees, that they don't fight in the beehive. They all work together, and it's not to get what they want now. It's for the next generation that when they come back, we built them the home. We built them the food source. We just need them to work for the next generation. And, I, and I, man, I, I can't really describe that, that we have to work, and we have to work humanly. Uh, humanely and harmonious with each other that we get nowhere with futile feuds 
and with incorporation of bad philosophies and anger. Absolutely. That's awesome. I love that. <laughs> it's 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 very hard for me to describe how how that makes me feel because I was the guy that was bouncing at the bar that didn't care for people. That it was all about my making my my paycheck. And it's not about that. It's it's not about any of that at all. I have more more love and more humanity from other people because I give it away and I help them. And the most of the people that I help earn it. That they're they're happy for me to come and help them raise a barn. Because in that bar they're gonna make goat's milk and they want to make sure I get cheese from that goat that I helped them build. And when I help that guy you know work on his tractor, it's because he's turning around and he's like, Man, you got it. I can't believe that you helped me make a wood burning gasification system for a tractor i said it's okay man i said it's something that i know how to do and he says this is actually going to help us over the springtime where where there's where fuel prices are astronomical he says we're going to be able to use this and he says when we go out and do stuff he says how can i repay you i said just pay it forward and how you pay it forward is man i'm sitting on so much grain right now he just drops it off wow because it's uh, how he pays right my chickens basically almost eat for free i taught a guy how to brew beer he's brewing beer for a microbrewery all this spent grain comes back he says you know what do we do with it? i said man you should make a pizza crust with it right now it's a you know you're using all these different grains and now you can refurbish it reuse make pizza crust whatever you know so we get pizza if we go to this one pizza parlor made from the spent grains and we get grains from there to put in our garden and Whoa. If, you, if you treat things and you treat people with with the respect that they earn and deserve, the, it's 400 times comeback, man. Absolutely. It's, it's tremendous. Absolutely. Well, that has been, this has been an incredible conversation. I, I'm so excited because I, I feel like we've really gotten to know each other and I feel like our listeners are understanding where you're coming from and are are gonna want to learn from you because your perspective that's the thing is we need to be teaching from that kind of perspective the generational perspective the the gratitude attitude and that's you know that's where i'm coming from too and uh, i try to focus on that i mean there's times where i get irritated about things but you know that's life right but i'd always try to hone in on that and and focus uh, my thoughts on how can I serve others in this situation? How can I pay this forward? So thank you so much, Michael, for coming on and sharing so much of your wisdom and your experience. And I, I hope we check in soon. And uh, I hope I uh, get my bees going um, and uh, can follow in your footsteps. Oh, don't don't follow my footsteps. Everybody should make make a, a footstep in the sand, and you'll do just fine. You have you have great admiration for nature. And you want to give the bees a good home. And I hope that me telling people that it's about your management skills. Even in permaculture, you have to make a design. You have to sit down and build a good foundation. It's the same with beekeeping. You have to you have to lay out what you want from it, where you're going to put them, how you're going to manage them. Or if you're not, just leave those girls in the tree. They do just fine. Awesome. Thank you so much, and have a wonderful day. You too, Matt. Thank you very much for having me, brother. 
All right, and you're and once again, it's a abfriendlycompany.com. Yeah, or just look for me on Facebook, AB Friendly Company Incorporated on Facebook. Sponsor us, you know, get us get get some honey, get some products from your local beekeepers. But we try to do all kind. You'll see my Facebook page has me giving a check to kids for writing an essay contest on bees. So if you find me on Facebook, you can probably catch me easier than you could from any place else. Awesome. Well, we'll just do that then. <laughs> Thank you so much. You bet, Matt. Thanks for having me. All right. Have a good day. Thank you so much for tuning in. That was an amazing, informative, and, you know, inspiring episode. I was so glad I got the chance to talk to Michael in depth like we were able to. And I'm glad that you were able to hear and able to learn so much. I can't wait for him to come out with his course. I can't wait for him to share it with so many kids. And I hope you have a wonderful week. And if you get a chance, hop over to thepermaculturestudent.com. Check out my books there. I've got a new book out. Uh, my course is up there. We have even more videos than ever. I'm cutting some new Elaine Ingham uh, videos right now to add to it. So if you're not part of the community already, dive in. From Permaculture Tonight, have a great one. Mm -hmm.